0: We are so glad that you're spending a little bit of your time with us today, and our church just loves helping people in this community reach higher for the best life God has for them, and if we can help you in any way do that, don't hesitate to let us know, and I want to I close out our series uh, today that we've been in for the last uh, few weeks called A Better Way to Live, and I want to I describe a particular sin and see if you can figure out which one it is. It's why you want to apologize when you know you're wrong. It's why you won't admit when you don't know something. It's why you won't compliment someone who did a good job at work. It's why you take credit for someone else's work or achievement. It's why you pad your resume to make yourself look better or more educated or more successful than you really are. It's why you get irritated over little mistakes. It's why you refuse to take counsel from other people. It's why you sometimes say, I would never do that. I would never commit adultery. I would never use language like that. I would never treat someone like that. It's why you're overly worried about what others think of you. It's why you keep... Buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like. It's why you're hypercritical and judgmental of other people. It's why you look down on certain people or certain races of people. It's why you refuse to acknowledge your need for God and his forgiveness or his help or his strength or his wisdom or his guidance or his grace. And it's the sin that you easily see in others, but have trouble seeing in yourself. Can you think of what sin that might be? If you guessed pride, you guessed right. You don't get a prize, uh, but you are correct. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the peril pride. And as we think about pride, I want to first of all begin by telling you what pride is not. Whenever we think about pride, pride is not having a good self-image. Listen, you are created by God. You are somebody. You are loved and you are special to God. So pride is not having a good self-image. Pride is also not having gratitude for a job well done. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your child when they've done well at school. There's nothing wrong with being proud of yourself whenever you've accomplished something that you've worked hard for. And neither is pride just gratitude for the blessings of life. I think we ought to be proud of a lot of things in life. You know, proud of, of the freedoms that we enjoy and proud of the country in which we live. There's a good kind of pride, and there's a healthy kind of pride, and that's not what we're talking about today. When we talk about pride, we're talking about having an arrogant attitude towards God and other people. Pride is an arrogant attitude towards God and other people. And just like the letter I is in the center of the word pride Pride is when I am the center of my universe. I am the most important person in my universe. I am better than other people. And pride is a dangerous thing indeed. Whenever I think about pride, I always think about the puffer fish. You you remember learning about the puffer fish in school? Uh, Sometimes it's called the blowfish, and that's probably a better name for it. Because the puffer fish, in order to protect itself from enemies, has the capacity to fill its elastic stomach with water and sometimes even air, and it can more than double its size. And that wards off predators. Some species of puffer fish also have prickly spines that cover their body. And most pufferfish have a toxin that they're able to emit that uh, will sicken other fish or even kill them. And the toxin in a pufferfish is fatal to human beings. There's no known uh, antidote for the toxin in a pufferfish. There's enough toxin in a pufferfish to kill 30 adult human beings. That's That's how deadly they can be. And whenever I think about pride, I had that picture of a puffer fish trying to act bigger and scarier than it really is. And sometimes pride causes us to puff up before God and to puff up before other people. For example, if we puff up before God, it's, it's usually expressed through an attitude of ignoring God, don't need God. God's not important. I've got my life under control. I don't need God. In fact, prayerlessness, if you don't pray much in your life, that's a sign of pride. Because if you recognized your need for God, your dependence on God, you would pray a lot more than maybe you do. And pride before people is to look down on someone else as if you are better than they are. And there are a lot of people who look down on people that have different skin color or a different language or live on the other side of town or people uh, that don't dress like me or have the kind of money or the education that I have. And pride can be insidious where we think those things make us better than other people. The root word for pride means to be high and lifted up. I need to define high, I mean high in elevation. Uh, it, it means to be elevated and pride is looking down on other people. And, and we all instinctively know the dangers, the peril of pride. In fact, you don't have to be a Christian to uh, know the old saying that says, pride goes before a fall. You hear that in popular culture all the time. They talk about it with politicians, or they talk about it about preachers, or they'll use that proverb when it comes to our daily living that, you know, don't forget now, pride goes before a fall. But what many people don't know is they're actually quoting scripture when they say that. That proverb comes right out of the Bible. You see, whether or not you're a Christian, there is wisdom in the Bible, and that's what I want to do today is just take you to some passages of scripture that warn us about the peril of pride and illustrate the peril of pride and then I want to close out our time today by talking about what we can do differently to to guard against becoming prideful people. Uh, I want to take you to now, now to Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs chapter 16 verses 18 and 19. If you've got your Bibles you can Uh, Find that place in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, that book that's a collection of wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, we read these words, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's, That's a picture of arrogance before God and men. If you are a prideful person, what awaits you eventually is destruction. You may be elevated today, but something or someone is going to bring you low eventually. And if you have a haughty spirit, a puffed up spirit, you need to know that precedes a fall. The picture there of destruction and fall speaks of someone's life coming to ruin, someone's reputation being finally exposed for what it really was the whole time. They weren't as good as they said they were. They weren't as holy as they said they were. They, they weren't as rich as they said they were. And it all all of the facade that pride has built up comes crumbling down and they are humiliated rather than being elevated. In fact, because of this danger of being prideful, the writer of Proverbs declares in verse 19, it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. He said, if you have to choose, if you have to choose pride and arrogance if you have to choose a haughty spirit with getting rich, it'd be better for you to choose humility and hang out with poor people. Because even though things may look good today for the proud, there is coming a day where they're going to be exposed and brought low. And they're going to have to recognize that their pride led them to a destructive time and a fall. And that. That stripping away of their pride and replacing pride with humiliation may come in this life. But it will certainly come in the next when we stand before a holy God and we can't hide any longer. And so we have to be careful about pride. And I think what the writer of Proverbs is saying is that it is better to be humble than to be humbled. It is better to be humble than to be humbled, because pride is going to lead you to the point where you are humbled. You are brought low. Wouldn't it just be better to recognize the danger of pride and to recognize the importance of humility before God and humility before other people? We we see all around us examples of prideful people being brought low, We see it with politicians, we see it with preachers, we see it uh, with movie stars, we see it with sports athletes, and honestly, we've probably all seen it in our own lives in one way or the other, or if it hasn't come yet, we see where this might lead if I ever get exposed. I've been putting up this front and everything looks good, but I may be exposed one day and humiliated one day when it all comes tumbling down. The person I always think of whenever I think about someone who was prideful and then humbled is the Apostle Peter. And and in our next few minutes together, I want to kind of share some verses with you from the New Testament. The first is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Because in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had already called his disciples, the Apostle Peter, just a common fisherman was one of those people that Jesus called to follow him, to learn from him, to be a part of his messianic work in the world. And out of grace, Jesus called Peter to be one of his disciples. And Peter leaves the boats and leaves the fishing nets and follows Jesus. After a period of time of being with Jesus and hearing his great preaching and teaching and seeing the miracles that Jesus could perform, Jesus stopped and he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street about who I am? And people start giving their answers. They say, well, some say you're this one and some say you're that uh, Old Testament prophet. Come back. He says, but who do you, my followers, my hand-chosen disciples, who do you say I am? And this was Peter's answer. Peter decried, or cried out in uh, Matthew 16, verse 16, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. Peter says, you are the Christ. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. No, Christ is a title. It means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. He's saying, you are the Messiah that the Old Testament has predicted would come. You are the rightful king of righteousness, who will sit on the throne of David, you are none other than the Christ, the son of the living God. You are unique among all human beings. And you know, Peter was right. And Jesus even commends Peter. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So don't take credit for this, Peter, that you have this knowledge of who I am. You're not, you're not that smart, Peter. Uh, I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm just saying you didn't figure this out all on your own, but the spirit of the father has revealed this to you. And that spiritual insight that you have of who I am, I commend you for it, but it comes from our father in heaven. Who's helped you see who I am. And so you think about this at this moment, Peter among all the other disciples is he's at the top buddy. He's a hero I can almost imagine them as Jesus turns to walk away, they're giving each other high fives. Way to go, Peter. Great answer, teacher's pet. You know, they're all happy that Peter figured it out. But later in the earthly ministry of Jesus, before Jesus is going to die on the cross of Calvary, he tells his disciples what's going to happen to him. And of course, they still don't understand it all. Their picture is Jesus is going to march into Jerusalem. He's going to gather a great following of people who will rise up under his leadership and fight against the Roman Empire. And they're expecting Jesus to be a political messiah, a military messiah. And yet Jesus says, no, no. As Isaiah, the prophet said, I'll be a suffering messiah. And so, in, math, in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter fourteen, Mark chapter fourteen, verses twenty-six through thirty-one, Jesus has instituted what we call the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Where after the Passover meal, there in the city of Jerusalem in an upper room, he takes bread and wine, and he imbues those with symbolism. The bread symbolizing His body, the the wine symbolizing His blood. And it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 27, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Verse 29, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. He's called Jesus the Messiah, the son of the living God. He has called him Lord, which means boss. And now he's bossing the son of God around. Now he is so prideful. He is correcting Jesus. Jesus You said we're all going to fall away and not stand by your side in your great hour of trial. Listen, these cowards are going to run and flee when the going gets tough. But I'm going to be by your side. I will not fall away. You're wrong about me, Jesus. I will not. Verse 30, and Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Jesus says, Peter, I'm not mistaken. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. I know what I'm talking about. And you're being so prideful that you think you're better than everybody else in my group. But I'm going to tell you before this very night is over, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny that you even know me three different times. And do you think Peter would be humble and say, well, maybe... There's something you know that I don't know? No, he's still prideful. Look at verse 31. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. Yeah, me either. I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. No, you're wrong. I'm not a coward. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to flee. If they come after you, I'm going to stand and fight, even if I have to die with you, Peter says. It's just pride. He's thinking better of himself. You don't hear any dependence on God in this moment. You don't hear Peter saying, Jesus, but by the grace of God, I would deny you. But by the grace of God, I would run and save myself before standing with you. Jesus, but by the grace of God, I am capable of all kinds of failure. No, he's prideful. He thinks he's got it all together. He's got it all figured out. He will never do what other people will do. He's better than these other disciples. He's holier. He's stronger. He's more intelligent. He's more courageous. He's prideful. Mark chapter 14, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard... One of the servant girls of the high priest came. Now, you need to picture this. In the Garden of Gethsemane that night when Jesus said what was going to happen and Jesus said, I want you to pray with me. And they all fell asleep rather than staying awake with Jesus. After Jesus prayed, he was arrested. And they took him to have him put on trial, mock trials, because trials weren't to be performed at night. They took him from one mock trial at night to the other, trying to condemn Jesus of blasphemy against God. Took him to the Jews, and then the Jews took him over to the Romans, and the Romans sent him back. And while Jesus is under arrest, all the other disciples, including Peter, they run and they hide. Peter is lurking in the shadows, trying to follow Jesus but not really be caught as one of the followers of Jesus. And so he's hanging out in the courtyard while Jesus is inside being put on trial for his life. And a servant girl sees him. Verse 67, And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Verse 68, But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. First denial. The little girl says, I know you were with Jesus the Nazarene. He says, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster crows. Verse 69, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Verse 70, but again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. We hear your accent. Somebody over there knows your mama. You're one of the Galileans. Verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Think about this. This is the apostle Peter who who just a, a year or so earlier said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God is now cursing using foul language, saying, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Verse 72, And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter is utterly humbled and humiliated that he did the very thing he said he would never do. He was not only not willing to die with Jesus, he wouldn't even align himself with Jesus. And that's what pride does. Pride is deceptive. It makes you think you're better than what you really are. It makes you think you're better than other people. And it makes you think you don't need God because you've got your life under control. You've got everything under control. You don't need God's strength. You don't need God's help. You don't need God's protection. You're better. I would never commit adultery. I would never look at pornography. I would never become an alcoholic. I would never lose my temper with my children. I would never. And that's what pride is. Where we think we are standing, we need to take heed lest we fall. And that's where Peter is. And Peter breaks down and weeps. And it, he sobs. He is overwhelmed with grief. Not only at what he has done, but he's grieved over whom he has done it too. The Christ, the Son of the living God. He has let him down. You know the rest of the story. Jesus is eventually crucified. Only John is there at the cross. Everybody else runs and hides. Peter, during those Times of Jesus' death and burial is hiding and afraid, and he's discouraged. And eventually he says, I'm going to go back fishing. But the resurrected Jesus meets him. He was going to just go back to his old way of life. And the resurrected Jesus meets him. And in a miraculous way reveals himself to Peter. And then on the shore of that lake, Jesus cooks breakfast for Peter. And Jesus asked Peter a question. He said, do you really love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said a second time, yes, Lord, I love you. And then the resurrected Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me more than these? And it says Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. And Jesus said, then go tend my sheep. You ever wonder what Jesus was doing, asking Peter three times, do you love me? He was giving Peter a chance for a do-over day. You denied even knowing me three times. So I gave you a chance to acknowledge your love for me three times. Peter, your failure doesn't have to be final. Rather than being humble, you were humbled. But I think you've learned a lesson, and I've got a job for you to do. It's interesting to me that many years later, Peter's an old man, and he writes some letters to encourage Christians we call his letters, the two copies that we have, we call them 1 Peter and 2 Peter. It's just the first letter he wrote and the second letter that he wrote that we actually have copies of that are inspired and put in our our Bibles. And as an old man before Peter, will eventually die for Jesus. Be crucified like Jesus, except tradition says he wanted to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord so in this letter, he's writing to Christians in First Peter chapter five, verses five and six, and he says, "Clothe yourselves all of you with humility, toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." When do you think this old man learned that lesson? Many years earlier? When he was young and brash and arrogant before God and other people. And rather than being humble, he was humbled. And he says, I don't care who you are. Every day you better clothe yourself, envelop yourself, wrap yourself in humility. Because God opposes the proud. You don't want to be on the wrong side of God. But he gives grace to the humble. If you're humble enough to admit you're weak, if you're humble enough to admit you're sinful, if you're humble enough to admit you don't know it all, if you're humble enough to to admit I don't have life figured out and I don't have any control, God, I desperately need you, then you will find God gracious to meet your needs and to give you what you need. He continued in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the powerful hand of God. And when you humble yourself before God, the time will come, he will exalt you. Listen, it's better to be humble than to be humbled because the humble will be exalted. The proud will be humiliated. It's better to be humble than to be humbled. I heard a man once say, You know, I prayed, God, God, would you take away my pride? And he said, God never answered my prayer like I wanted him to. Until I realized God said through 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, that I'm not going to take away your pride you're going to have to choose humility. That's the way it works, isn't it? Where we have to choose to be humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Well, how do I, how do, I do that? How do I choose humility? What does humility require of me? Well, one of the simplest ways I can think of that keeps me humble and maybe we'll help you stay a little more humble. Now, I'm not saying I've got all this figured out because that would be very prideful of me to say, and I've got all this figured out. If you want to meet somebody humble, look at me. <laughs> don't, you think, don't you think I'd be pretty prideful for the pastor to say, now, I'm, I'm your example of what it means to be humble. I heard of a pastor that was given a, a medal by his church for being the most humble pastor in the world. And then the next Sunday, they took it away because he wore it to church. So, so you got to be careful whenever you're talking about humility, that you don't act like you're the example of humility. But when Peter says, "Clothe yourselves, every one of you, with humility," he's saying there's power available to you by God's grace every day to remember who you are before God and who you are before other people. And he says. You need to choose humility. And the way I do that in my own life that helps me is to think more about serving other people than serving myself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. I'm just terrible. I'm sorry, dog. I'm a nobody. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And thinking more about other people and how you can serve other people. And the person that is the epitome of humility is Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45? I forgot to give it to our folks in the back to put on the screen, but it's in your Bible. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said of himself, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. That's what humility looks like. If anyone could have been prideful, if anyone could have said, I came that everyone will serve me, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come for myself. I came into this world for you. I came in this world to leverage my life for your life. And he is our supreme example of humility. And so I'm going to challenge you today. How can you gladly and humbly serve someone else? How can you gladly and humbly meet someone else's need How can you gladly and humbly show love and kindness to people maybe that you don't have things in common with? Maybe that you don't always see eye to eye with? What does humility require of me? It requires me to gladly and humbly serve other people like Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder today that it's better to be humble than to be humbled And we we are all people that struggle with pride and arrogance before you. Sometimes we forget about you. We ignore you. We push you aside until we're in trouble. We don't pray much because we, we, we think we've got life under control. We don't read our Bibles because we think we know enough and we know it all. God, forgive us of our pride. And it could even be pride that keeps someone in this place today or someone watching or listening today. From receiving Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a pride problem. They don't want to admit their need for a Savior. They don't want to admit and humble themselves. In repentance of sin and confession of faith in Christ. But God I pray that today. We would all be reminded it's better to be humble. Than to be humbled. And so Father I pray that. We would leave this place today with our eyes on Jesus with our thoughts and affections on Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we would allow Him to be the example of what it means to gladly and humbly serve someone else. God, I thank You that the Apostle Peter spent the rest of his life, all the way up to his dying breath, serving Jesus and serving other people. And even today, we have been blessed by His acts of service I've been able to see his example and even read his words. So thank you, God, for the example in his life that even though maybe we have failed and we've messed up and there are times we've been humiliated and humbled and brought low and we've made a mess of our lives, you are a good God and you you were able to give us another chance and a new day and a fresh start. And I pray that today, Father, for each person here that we would rededicate ourselves to Jesus Christ, either as our Lord and Savior today for the first time or rededicate ourselves to Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, gladly and humbly serving other people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys. God bless you. I can't wait to start a new series with you next week. I hope you'll invite someone to be here. Our ushers will dismiss you and I hope you have a great morning.